0: Hello, and welcome to our hymn study episode of the week here at Thoughtseeds Podcast. I'm Amy Ennell, and this is episode 220. Now, today we're singing and studying together in Christ alone. First, I want to start this all off by reading this passage from Paul's letter to the Philippian church. And we're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. It says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, I know I don't usually do it this way, but I'm actually going to read the lyrics to you before we learn more about how the hymn came to be. It says, In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, When fears are stilled, when strivings cease. My comforter, my all in all, Here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, Fullness of God in helpless babe. This gift of love and righteousness, Scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, The wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ." No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I'll stand. And now, because it was thoroughly researched and so well written. I'm going to share the following article from Dr. C. Michael Hahn over at Discipleship Ministries of the United Methodist Church. Now, I am not Methodist, so I mean, I'm not, just disclaimer, um, but the Discipleship Ministries division there has such a wealth of rich information on hymns, and I have been so blessed over the years of my hymn studies by the histories and the theological discussions of those hymns. So I'll be linking to this article in the description And I want to encourage you to go and take the time to read it for yourself. And this is what it says. In Christ Alone, 2001, is one of the most popular Christian songs in this century. Northern Irishman Keith Getty, born in 1974, and Englishman Stuart Townend, born in 1963, are worship leaders and songwriters who have collaborated to produce some of the most well-known and vibrant hymns of this era. This hymn was the first collaboration by Getty with another writer. It is the duo's most popular song, appearing in 13 hymnals according to hymnary.org. It was ranked as the number one song in the UK CCLI listing by 2006 and remains in the top 25 hymns, number 19, as of August 12, 2019 in the USA CCLI rankings. Townend offers the following account of the song's origins. Keith and I met in the autumn of 2000 at a worship event and we resolved to try to work together on some songs. A few weeks later, Keith sent some melody ideas and the first one on the CD was a magnificent, haunting melody that I loved and immediately started writing down some lyrical ideas on what I felt should be a timeless theme commensurate with the melody. So the theme of the life, death, resurrection of Christ and the implications of that for us just began to tumble out and when we got together later on to fine-tune it, We felt we had encapsulated what we wanted to say. That's from Atkins, 2004. And I don't, this is his, he's also giving his credits, which you can see over at the website. The Gettys offer their description of the song's composition. In Christ Alone grew first out of an excitement to write hymns that would help 21st century Christians sing, know, and embrace the incredible truths of the Lord in fresh language. And second, out of a frustration with the lack of depth in the songs that were being sung in many churches. In this sense, it was kind of protest music. We envis- envisaged a hymn that would told the incredible story of the gospel and settled on the title, In Christ Alone. Keith wrote most of the music, and Stuart wrote most of the genius lyrics. Stuart Tonan's roots are in the Anglican Church, where his father served as a vicar at Christ Church, Sowerby Bridge. He began his musical studies with piano at age 7, and he began writing songs at age 22, studying literature at the University of Sussex. By 2005, he'd been described as one of the most significant songwriters in the whole international Christian music field. More recently, he was recognized by the Archbishop of Canterbury's awards with the Thomas Cramner Award for Worship, the citation noting, His outstanding contribution to the contemporary worship life of the Church resides especially in putting songs on our lips, which root us in God's story. The Church will be singing them for many generations to come. Keith Getty, a native of Northern Ireland, often performs with his wife, Kristen, where she is frequently featured as a soloist or lead singer on albums. They were married in 2004. His musical education began with classical guitar lessons at age 11 and flute lessons at age 12. He graduated with a B.A. at St. Chad's College, Durham University, where he studied music. Getty's background in flute led to study with the renowned flutist James Galway, who also facilitated Getty's development as a conductor and orchestrator. His musical influence, influences include classical music, Irish music, and a wide range of church music. Keith Gettys' ecclesial roots are in the Presbyterian Church, where his father was a pastor in Belfast, a heritage that influenced his appreciation for metrical psalms. The Gettys reside between Northern Ireland and Nashville. More biographical information is available at their website, which you can find um, on the article. Getty, It's gettymusic.com. Getty and Tonan tend to use the language of hymn rather than song to describe their work. As Keith Getty notes, I was happy to adopt the term hymn, since traditional hymns tend to follow the more historic patterns of church music, from the Old Testament to New Testament to church history. It's in this tradition where we find understanding our faith through congregational singing and passing down songs from generation to generation, both attractive and a huge need. While he notes on the one hand that what we sing becomes the grammar of what we believe, Getty also laments it's been several hundred years since Christian worship was as shallow as it is today. Furthermore, he states, Christianity is more universal than it's ever been, but people's understanding of their faith and the Bible is disappointing. Harking back to his heritage in the Presbyterian Church, Getty also laments, We are fast becoming the first generation in human history, of whom the majority of believers do not incorporate the Psalms in weekly Sunday worship. Both Townend and the Gettys have an articulate theology of congregational song. Unlike some who are identified as contemporary Christian artists, they are avidly concerned with the congregation's participation in the act of singing. Though maybe understood, regularly a bone of contention, and often underpracticed, congregational singing is one of the greatest and most beautiful tools we have been given to declare God's excellences, strengthening His church and sharing His glory with the world. When we sing, we witness to the people in our church who are yet to believe, to the unsaved spouse, the cynical teen, the intrigued friend. We witness to the outsider stepping through the door of a church, and even through the sound we make to the outsider walking past the door of the church. The sight and sound of a congregation singing praise to God together is a radical witness in a culture that rejects God and embraces individualism. Our songs are the public manifesto of what we believe. It is perhaps this theology of congregational singing, along with growing up in a culture of beautiful Irish melodies, in the case of the Gettys, and growing up in the Anglican Church, in the case of Townend, that has contributed to so many singable melodies that cross the stylistic barriers allowing their songs to be sung both in worship gatherings with screens and praise teams and congregations with choirs and handheld hymnals. Though his songs are a favorite in congregations that self-identify as contemporary Christian, Getty maintains that he is not usually inspired by contemporary Christian music because it's mostly copies of the last five or ten years. Instead, he draws from a more eclectic range of musical styles, especially folk songs that tend to have a more universal appeal and accessibility across musical tastes and experience. Other songs by the Getty-Townend duo also resonate broadly, including Speak, O Lord, As We Come to You, from 2006, Oh, to See the Dawn, The Power of the Cross, from 2005, and How Deep the Father's Love for Us, 1995, a text by Townend. In Christ Alone, however, is the signature song that remains both loved and at times criticized. The hymn has a strong Christological focus. The scriptural foundation implied in the insipid, the first verse, is John fourteen six. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The first stanza is replete with biblical allusions. Christ is my light, Psalm twenty-seven one. My strength and my song, Exodus fifteen two. Psalm Psalm some one hundred eighteen fourteen. Isaiah twelve two. My cornerstone, Isaiah twenty-eight 16, 1 Peter two six. Solid ground, Psalm 40, verse 2. Comforter, John fourteen, sixteen, and 26. All in all, First Corinthians fifteen, twenty-eight. Stanza 2 begins with references to Christ's incarnation. Christ, who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe. Drawing upon the paradox of faith, the gift of love was scorned by the ones he came to save. The controversy for some arises in the next phrase, which shifts from incarnation to a particular view of atonement. Till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Often referred to as the satisfaction theory of atonement, this approach draws upon Anselm of Canterbury, stating that Christ's suffering was a substitute for human sin, and as such, satisfied God's wrath against the transgressions of humanity. Traditionally, this has been the view held by Roman Catholics, Lutherans, and Gettys' Reformed tradition. This was the theological interpretation that influenced John Calvin. Other related classical views of atonement include substitutionary atonement, that Christ died as a substitute for others or stood in their place, and penal substitution, a view that Christ, by choosing a sacrificial death, was punished or penalized in the place of a sinful humanity. The controversy over this phrase came to public awareness when the Presbyterian hymnal Glory to God from 2013 voted not to include this hymn when the writers would not allow the following textual substitution. Till on the cross, as Jesus died... The love of God was magnified. This variation had been used in an earlier hymnal called Celebrating Grace from 2010, but apparently without the composer's permission. Hymn writer and chair of the Presbyterian Committee on Congregational Song Mary Louise Bringle stated The song has been removed from our contents list, with deep regret over losing its otherwise poignant and powerful witness. Continuing, she noted, the view that the cross is primarily about God's need to assuage God's anger would have negatively affected the hymnal's faith-forming function within congregations. In a response to the decision by PCCS, Getty responded, We believe altering the lyrics would remove an essential part of the gospel story as explained throughout Scripture. The main thread of what we see revealed throughout the Old and New Testaments is the need for man to be made right with God. The provided path toward reconciliation came through Christ's predetermined and perfect sacrifice on the cross, satisfying God's wrath once and for all. The two hymnal committees wanted to change the lyrics to focus on how Christ's death on the cross magnifies God's love for the world, and indeed, God's love was magnified on Calvary's hill. Yet, the way this occurred was through Christ doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, shedding his own perfect blood to atone for our sins. Several theologians also came to Gettys and Taunin's defense. Stanza 3 recounts the resurrection in expressive language, including bursting forth in glorious day, and he stands in victory. The result was that sin's curse lost its grip on me. Stanza 4 expresses the doctrine of eternal security, often described as once saved, always saved. In a powerful assertion echoing the spirit of Romans eight thirty-eight through 39 no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Maintaining the theological intent, this phrase was altered in worship and song. No power of hell, no scheme or plan. In celebrating grace, the phrase was modified as follows. No power of hell, no human plan. The hymn concludes with an eschatological affirmation. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I'll stand. The final phrase recalling the declaration that began the hymn. In a conversation with Stuart Townend, he noted that he was taken by surprise at the controversy over atonement theology in stanza two, as this, for him, was a long-held theological truth. Earlier, he'd received criticism for a line in the final stanza by pro-life Christians, from life's first cry to final breath. The assertions by this grouping that life begins at conception, not at birth. Most commonly used hymns are controversial. This is nothing new. People of faith do not always agree, even as they seek truth. Generally, discussion is healthy, even potentially enlightening. Hymnal committees either adapt possible hymns, changing keywords or omitting stanzas when possible, or choose not to include the hymn in their hymnals. One danger is to view a hymn as a commodity that should please the public in the marketplace of religious good. Religious goods, excuse me. Success being evident in those hymns consumed the most, the ones garnering most royalties. Keith Getty and Stu- Stuart Townend articulate an artistic authenticity that eschews mimicking the styles of the most successful songs in the marketplace of contemporary music. Esteems the heritage of the church's song and values the congregation's full participation in the act of singing. Regardless of one's theological reception of this hymn, each hymn writer is sharing a lyrical witness, a testimony of his faith. Each witness carries with it the author or composer's personal experience, faith heritage, culture, and theological convictions. Even when popular, a hymn writer risks vulnerability when sharing a witness in the very public forum of congregational singing. In balancing this individual witness, it is the responsibility of those who compile hymnals to make careful decisions about which witnesses best articulate the theological heritage of a given tradition and select from the plethora of song witnesses throughout Christian history those that best articulate and shape faith within that tradition. Furthermore, it is the responsibility of each singer to discern the degree to which the witness of a given hymn informs his or her own faith experience and biblical understanding. Now, thanks for sticking with me for such a lengthy article. I will sometimes try to tell the story of a hymn history in my own words, giving credit where it is due. But this time, I really wanted to share all of that from Dr. Han. And now to close us out, will you join me in singing In Christ Alone? In Christ Alone, my hope is found my light, my strength, my song This cornerstone, this solid ground Firm through the fiercest drought and storm What heights of love, what depths of peace When fears are stilled, when striving cease My comforter, my all in all Here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe. This gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world but in darkness slain then bursting forth in glorious day up from the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory sin's curse has lost its grip on me For I am his, and he is mine, Bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death, This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, In the power of Christ, I'll stand. Talk to me about this hymn and what it means to you. I'd love to hear from you in the comments section of your favorite podcast platform, or you can find me over on Facebook or Instagram at the Thought Seeds podcast pages. If you have any questions or personal prayer requests, you can also email me at thoughtseedspodcast at gmail.com. If you've been blessed by this episode, please share it with others. And if you'd be willing to leave a review for Thoughtseeds Podcast wherever you listen, I would so appreciate it. It'll help keep new episodes coming. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'll be back with you again next week.